Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? You know, March is like a bad girlfriend. I was telling that to somebody this morning. I said, she flirts with you, then she drops you. And the cold weather comes back. And then at the end of the month, she flees to Canada. And, you know, and stays there until next winter. Um, and it's funny. It's snowing this morning. I was coming out, and, you know, outside, and it's snowing. What's the deal? Well, it's March. Good to have you with us this morning. And, again, my name's Tim. And pleased to have you with us. It's your first time here. We're glad that you could be with us today. And if, if you've come back from a previous visit, wow, thank you for coming. That's, that's wonderful. Hope you're blessed today uh, by what we're, what we're looking at, by the singing and just the friendliness and just the warmth that we experience one another as God's people. Today I'm talking about faithfulness. And um, we're, we're, uh, before we do that, I want to let you know about two things in your bulletin. One's in the very back is the men's retreat. And that's, guys, it looks like it's going to be a great, a great men's retreat at Lake Williamson. Every year we promote this to our men. And gentlemen, I hope you will uh, take that challenge and sign up for this thing. It's at Lake Williamson. It's not very far away. You know, I think it's so gracious of the, on the crossings part to have this retreat closer for us than for them, guys. I mean, that's, that's, that's awfully nice. And I'd like you to, you know, let's don't insult them by not showing up. Let's, let's participate in this. I hope you'll do that. But that's, uh, it's called uh, The Following. And uh, it'll, it's coming up. You'll see a couple of advertisements around uh, and as well as in your bulletin. The other thing is that Easter is going to be here in two weeks. And uh, remember last year we had a giant cross in the middle of the, of the, of the building. And you know, this time we're going to put a giant tomb right here. We're going to have a big tomb. Um, and we're going to talk about, I'll let you all know ahead of time. We're going to talk about, uh, because the tomb is empty, the things that God fills our life with. And so we're going to be looking at that. If you know some family, some friends, man, this is a great time to introduce them to Greater Alton. Let them come. Uh, we're going, like I say, it's going to be a very, a very good Easter service and be very uplifting and positive. And that's only in two weeks. Uh, let's see. Um, we're talking about sinking down roots and raising fruit. That's been the whole, the whole idea. That's our theme for the year, that we're sinking down roots and raising fruit. The Bible t- tells us that two places in the Bible. And this idea of I need to see that, that what goes on above the ground uh, is determined by what goes on below the ground. That what goes on that everybody can see, you know, in me is really what happens when no one's looking. My private life. And this, and, and this private life that I have, uh, God wants to, wants to work in. And by doing that, he produces what the Bible calls fruit. What the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Here's a passage you want to get your notes out. And again, if you're a first-time guest, we have notes. You can fill in blanks. You can take those notes home. Look at, look at what I have to say. Uh, check me out. See how I'm doing there. But also, you can be able to look at it again and really uh, understand the Word of God. And, uh, and, and here, this is uh, the, the very first passage I thought was up on the screen. Was not your notes. I don't know which set of notes the PowerPoint people got. But it says in Galatians 5, that's where we were going to start. Do you have that, Pat? You probably don't. Okay, yeah, because you went back to the title. I got you. You say, can you hear him talk? No. We just have this thing. Um, But in Galatians 5, we have a list of the fruit of the Spirit. Before we see the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 listed from 22 on, you're going to notice there's some not-so-good things said 
in, in the in the previous verses. In verses uh, in Galatians five nineteen through twenty one, remember what it says. And the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, and at least lists all these bad things, all these horrible things. And then and then uh, in Galatians five and verse twenty two, we see uh, what uh, Gary Chapel calls budology. If you probably studied biology, well, the Bible has budology in it. And what's budology? When you see the word but. You know, it paints this picture of this is what man comes up with. This is the results of, of what man can come up with. And it's all kinds of sinful things, all kinds of bad things designed to destroy our life. In fact, he says there in Galatians 5, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We get it, Lord. You're not happy with those things. And you know what? You and I aren't happy when we participate in them either. Or oh, maybe for a moment, but not in the long haul, right? And so, it, and so he goes on and says, But when the Holy Spirit controls your lives, God produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness. He talks about gentleness and self-control, which is not against the law anywhere. You can do those things and not get a ticket. You won't go to jail. People... Welcome that kind of behavior. You try to be loving and joyful and patient and full of peace and kind and gentle and have some self-control at work, they're going to promote you. You watch what happens. They're going to say, that's a model employee. We want to keep them around. And so, and, and so we see here, I love this because we see the contrast. God says, listen, I know you what you can do on your own, but do you know it can be different for you when you let me have control of your life? These things I'll produce in your life. So this morning, you may be going through not just a rough patch in a road, but you've been on a rough patch highway for a while. And you think of all that stuff that you've produced on your own. It just doesn't cut it. You don't like it. God doesn't like it. But is there any hope for me? God uses the three-lettered word, but. But. You might have that going on. But if you let Jesus have control, if you let the Holy Spirit have control of you, He can produce these wonderful things in your life. That's, a, that's an up for me. That's an encouragement for me. And one of the things he produces is faithfulness. Now let's look at the notes here and let's look at the first PowerPoint you got here. Look at what it says here. Everyone talks about how loyal and faithful they are, but just try to find someone who really is. Huh? I mean, faithfulness is just so rare anymore. Loyalty, dependability. I mean, if you were to put together a list of five people you could count on, could you... Could you put five people on a piece of paper? And if you were to go talk to them and ask them to do the same thing, would your name appear on their list? And faithfulness is independability, trustworthiness, reliability. These are tough to find in our society. It seems to me that when you look around, nobody wants to make a commitment to anything anymore. I mean, even marriage, we make a commitment to say, I do, and then we find out what we agreed to. And people are backing out of that. People make commitments to churches. I don't know how many people I hear, Oh, I want to be here, and I'm making a commitment. And they're gone. They're gone. We don't even stick it out. You know, and, 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 and people make, make, we make commitments to phones. We make commitments to, to t- cable companies. And what do we try to do when we get a better deal? We're trying to back out of them. It's just very difficult. It seems like the word faithful we use for terms like, my brother, you know, he said, 
I've got a faithful dog. That old dog's been faithful. I've been over at that house. That dog is the sweetest. Well, there's it's his house, and then there's the Quick's house. And they've got some sweet dogs, too. And they're just sweet. Real nice, easygoing, faithful, loyal. Almost like Boy Scouts. Cheerful, thrifty, brave. I mean, they got all the traits, you know. And, 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 I, and I know, I know you're saying, yeah, old dogs are faithful. Uh, I got this old wife, old lady, and old man. They're just so faithful. We've been married so many years. You know, we, we reserve, we use them in these sentences. We'll use it like, for faithful service for 25 years. And we put it on the back of a gold watch and give it to somebody. But the real question is, what about faithfulness to God? What about being a faithful person, period? And do we have to wait till we're married a long time to be faithful? Do we have to wait till we've worked somewhere a long time to be considered faithful? I don't think so. I think that's a trait we can have in our life today. Look at this next passage. Lord, help. Godly men are fast disappearing. Where in all the world can dependable men be found? You know where they can be found? In the presence of God. They can be found in the presence of their Lord. When you give your life to Christ and you let Him have control, like it says in Galatians 5, when the Spirit has control, you're going to find dependability growing in your life. I don't know how dependable you are. How faithful you think you are. You know, I know a lot of us might say, I'm not very dependable. I know I tend to kind of go with the weather. I'm up and down and, you know, I make a promise I forget. We all have done that. Well, faithfulness is not perfect following, church. Faithfulness is getting back up when you mess up. Uh, Chris, I don't know. Uh, what I love about Chris's Lord's Supper in the first service, he talked about how he, how he used to sin a lot before he became a Christian. And I went... What's he going to say? How do you follow that? And he followed it so humbly. He goes, today I sin. It's not as much. I stumble occasionally. And what I love about Chris's example, and that's why we have him in front of you, is that when Chris falls down, he gets back up. The Bible says you knock a righteous man down, what happens? That's faithfulness. Not, I never fall down. That's perfection. We're in trouble if that's required. I'm in trouble if that's required. Okay? You need to get somebody else to preach for you. No, it's faithfulness is just hanging on and keeping on. Keep on, keep on. Do you know anybody in this church? You look around and you go, that person's faithful. They may not be successful, but they just keep going. Keep on, keeping on. A lot of people want to measure life by success, and God measures it by faithfulness. On Judgment Day, when we all face the Lord, there's going to, I'm going to tell you, one of the questions you're going to ask us is, were you faithful to me? Not were you perfect. Were you faithful to me? And God wants to produce that in our life. You see, my greatest ability is dependability. That's your greatest ability. Who cares if you know a lot? Who cares if you've got all these great skills? If you can't be counted on, what good is it? it it's worthless. Okay? I know a lot of people that... They have all this incredible ability, but you can't count on them. And because you can't count on them, you can't use them. So why should I be faithful? I want to talk about that a minute. Why should I be a faithful person? Why should, why should I want God to develop faithfulness in me? Well, the first reason is because God is faithful. That ought to be enough right there, huh? God is so faithful. You realize that? Look at what the Bible says here. The word of the Lord is right and true. 
He is faithful in all He does. God is faithful. Works, he, he, he works on you, works on me. I love that song. He's still working on me. Make me what I ought to be. It took Him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient He must be. Because He's still working on me. <laughs> you know? Huh? Yeah, he's still... Hey, I, I got up this morning, I realized something. I got up this morning. True. I got up this morning, I went, you know what? God didn't sleep. He, kept, he was working on stuff in my life while I was sleeping through it. And couldn't wait for me to wake up and get started or to finish what He's been doing. So God is faithful. And what I love about this is God's faithful in a lot of ways. I don't think you've got Him on the PowerPoint. These are other verses. But the Bible says God is faithful to bring us into His fellowship. What that means is He was faithful to save you and I. It's important to remember that. That God was faithful. It says He endured the cross, scorning its shame, because the joy set before Him. Now He sits at the right hand of God. What was the cross all about? Saving you and I. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is right. No, it's, it's, he's faithful enough to save us. But it's not just that. He's faithful enough that He's faithful to you and I to keep us. What's the Bible say? How's it going? 1 Corinthians 10. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when tempted... See, temptation is not a sin. When tempted, He'll provide a way out so you can stand up under it. God is faithful. Always provides a way out. I look in this... Look at this room. Look at all the ways out of this building. We got some over here for you who want to get to the Mexican restaurant before everybody else. We got that one over there where you can get right in your car and take off. And if you want to go to Farm Fresh, I see these doors used a lot for that. You know, we got, if you want to go to the funeral home, there it is. There's the doors right there for you. And we got four sets back there. You know, we're making sure people can get out of here, okay, and get in. God is faithful. He always provides a way out for you. When you're tempted, there's always a way out. God never lets you say, sorry, you're, you're stuck. Or, I, you know, I couldn't help it. Yes, you, when we say that, we, I couldn't help it. You make it sound like God locked the, the door. He said, oh, yes, you can. God can help you. With God's help, He provides. Here's over here. It's open. Get out of there. What are you doing there? Get out of there before something first happens. So he's faithful to he's faithful to save you and I. He's faithful to keep you and I. And then the Bible says in First John that he is faithful and will forgive us of our sins. He continues to work on us and forgive us. Church, isn't that a marvelous? God is faithful. He he, he forgives again and again. You mean I messed up again? God forgives. Well, I know, but the, the same sin. Yeah, maybe we can learn something there. Sometimes we have to forgive again and again. God is faithful. To be a faithful person means to be like that. But not only why should I be faithful? Because God is faithful to me. That should motivate. It motivates me to know that God is faithful. He's always with me. He doesn't leave me. If I ever feel any distance from God, it's not Him. It's me pulling away. It's my sin separating me from God. He's always faithful. Waiting. I love that song. He was there all the time. He was there all the time. Waiting patiently in line. He was there all the time. God is faithful. That's why I ought to be faithful. But also, there's another reason. Because God uses faithful people. That's the second one. 
He uses faithful people. You see, if I'm not faithful, if I can't be dependent on, if I can't be reliable, I have no business in ministry. I have no business in leadership. That's not just what you want to have in the pulpit. Now again, we're not talking about a perfect person, but you want to have somebody in the pulpit, guys, that you can trust and you can rely on that you know is faithful. Right? I understand that. And you know what? You know what? All of us, when we get together, all of us pulpit guys get together and say, you know, we want, you want that. We want you, all of you, to be faithful. It'd make our job so much easier. Amen. Amen. We can say that. In this. The walls aren't going to come down. It's concrete, folks. It's going to take a lot to. And God uses faithful people. If I can't, God can't use people who are not dependable. It just can't happen. Look at this passage. This is what the Apostle Paul says. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that He considered me faithful appointing me to His service. He goes, you know what? I, I can't believe it. I'm now serving the Lord and, he, and He's an apostle. He's a leader at that. He's serving in ministry and He says, I can't believe it. He considers me faithful. Well, if He wasn't faithful, God would not use Him. Well, wait a minute, Tim. God doesn't always use faithful people. He used Pharaoh, didn't He? Do you want to be used like Pharaoh? He used Samson. Yes, he did. Do you want to be used like Samson? He got his eyes poked out. I don't want to be used that way. I want to be used like Paul. I don't want to be a bad, a good example of a bad idea or a bad decision. I want to be a good example of a faithful life. And God uses faithful people in ministry and leadership. I've got a... um, you know, the Bible says this, and this is not in your notes, you want to write it down. You know 2 Timothy 2, too. Many of you do. Remember what it says? Whatever you've heard me say, whatever you've seen me do, entrust to reliable, that's faithful men, who can do what? Also teach others. You see, God can't use you if you're not going to be faithful. In fact, you're going to mess it up even more if you're not determined to be a faithful person. I think on your notes, faithfulness is a qualification of ministry and leadership. Number two, or number three, here's a third reason. That is that because God rewards faithfulness. How is it a qualification of ministry and leadership? God rewards faithfulness. Look what it says here. A faithful man will be richly blessed. You want to be blessed? Work on being faithful. Be faithful in the little things. Listen to me. Be faithful in the little things. A lot of people have this idea, oh, I'm going to give it all, you know, like it's some noble thing. I'm giving it all to the Lord, and I'm going to, and, and, and that sounds good until they, then they start saying, and I'm going to do something like some incredible big thing that nobody's ever seen, and because, like, that's being faithful. And it, it could include faithfulness, doing something big for God. But I've learned that. The big things we do for God are supported by all the little things we do for God. It's much like somebody putting a thousand dollar bill and slapping it on the table and saying, look at that. And what God wants to do is say, hey, take that thousand, go to the bank, get a bunch of quarters. Now, I want you to hand out those quarters, maybe 25 or 50 cents at a time. Why? Because, see, God is not interested in you doing something, one big thing but little things over the long haul. That's what faithfulness is. 
Little things like listening to people when they've got a problem. Little things like making sure, you know, coming to the building sometimes and just helping around the building. You'd be surprised how many people judge a church by the door, the front door. I had a guy one time tried to get out of our church building, the one we had years ago, and he goes, can't even get out. You can get in, but you can't get out. And I go, take the hint. But it's stuck. And you can hear it. when it, we, Robert would be preaching. I was going hear this pow, pow sound. What is that? And everybody would jump. And it was the door sticking. And somebody had their foot. Boom, pow. And they'd walk in. And, and I remember people just being turned on. And finally we said, we got to fix this door. It's a little thing. And you'd be surprised. Having a little courtesy toward people. A little kindness toward people. goes a long way. It's little things. Being faithful in little things that matter. I was reading, this is not in the notes, uh, but, it, but it's in the Bible. How about that? First, in First Chronicles, write this down. First Chronicles 9.22 and look at it sometime in the New Living Translation. First Chronicles 9.22. And I, what I was intrigued by was, was, that, was that David and Samuel are looking for some gatekeepers. Now, when I think of gatekeepers, I think of ghostbusters. I'm sorry. Are you the gatekeeper of Dozer? No, no, no. <laughs> what? No. And they're looking for some gatekeepers for the temple. For the temple. Well, what do the gatekeepers do? They watch the door. I can just imagine these guys going, walking up there. There's 212 have been selected. And it says because they were reliable. Well, what's their job? They watch the door. Do I get a sword? No. I don't get a sword? No. Just watch the door. Can I get a badge? No, there's no badge. We live in Bible times. We don't have badges. We don't need no stinking badges. Do I, do I get a uniform? So people see, oh, look, it's the doorkeeper of the temple. The gatekeeper, you know. No, it's nothing like that. But their job's important. They do kind of guard the temple. They kind of help with security, but they help. They're also their job is to help people from going in and out of the temple. And you say, well, but it's such a little job. It's like being an usher. You might think, like we look at ushers. And I feel sorry for our ushers sometimes. They'll walk in and go, hey, guys, it's time to start church. And we look at them like, and I'm not trying to offend anybody. If you're a night security, a security person, you know, you just got a little clock, and that's all you got. Where's your can of mace? Where's your gun? You're just an usher. I saw you handing out bulletins. That's all you do. You're telling me when church starts? But they're doing it. It's a little job. And it's important. David would say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, a gatekeeper at your house than than do anything else. A little thing. And God rewards that. He rewards those, those... Little moments of faithfulness, church. He will reward you when you're faithful. Of course, you know, there's a passage in Matthew 25 where God took uh, and gave a man, uh, he tells a story, a parable of a master who gave five talents. And what's a talent? It's a bunch of money. Five talents worth of money to one man, two talents worth of money, you know, a little bit more, a little less money to one fellow, and then one talent to another fellow. He left, came back. You know the story. He comes back and he says, okay, what's going on? It's time to settle up. And the guy with five talents says, look, you're master. You're five talents. I've earned five more. 
And what's the response of the master? Well done, good and servant. Here comes a two-talent guy. Look what your two talents have done. I've earned two more. Well done, good and servant. Here comes the one-talent guy. I don't know why I see him walking up like this. You know, or... Here's your one talent. I was afraid. I know you're a hard man. And I know you'd have been tough on me if I'd have lost it. So here it is. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. Doesn't it grieve him? No, you've got to be kidding me. He takes that one talent, tells, tells the rest of the guys, take this wicked, lazy servant out of here. That's what, that's what the Bible says. And, and, he says, and then he says, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When I read a passage like that, I go, oh my. Two, two guys are faithful, and they're blessed. One guy is not, and he is in trouble. Big trouble. Because he didn't take the things that God gave him. That's the, that's the point of the, of the parable. He's saying, if you do this, I'll bless you. If you don't use it, I'll take it from you. Such a tragedy. But I never noticed this before. What's he do with the one talent? Huh? Okay, what does the master do with it when he takes it from you? That's all I hear up here. What? He gives it to the other guy. Which guy? Doesn't he have enough? Yeah, I never noticed that even in this passage, at the end of this passage, that I've seen such tragedy, there's still that promise God will bless you if you're faithful with even more. And what I notice is this. The five-talent guy, catch this, church. Catch this, leaders. You never outgrow doing the little things. The one-talent thing. You never... God's always going, always going to give you... We, even as leaders, we get this big-shot idea. It's got to be big before it gets my attention. And even Jesus gave, the Master gave, the one-talent to the five-talent man. He blessed the five-talent man even more. But He also is implying... I want you to have the little things. I want you to keep doing the little things. What do you think that five-talent man did with that one talent? Did he invested it? How do you know? Because he was called a faithful servant. So you know he was. God rewards faithfulness. Whether it's a lot or a little, he'll reward your faithfulness. So, how does God produce faithfulness in me? I got to thinking about that. How, how, what can I do for God to produce faithfulness in me? It's, it's not just God producing it in me. He won't produce it in me without my cooperation. So how can I get the faithfulness that He possesses more in my life to grow in my life? Well, I can be a trustworthy, dependable, reliable, faithful person to have that kind of reputation. I've well, think about these, all right? Number one, I must embrace what God values. If God's going to produce faithfulness in my life, I've got to embrace what He values. See, God is going to challenge your values. He's going to challenge my values. He has since I can remember. See, the culture has a set of values, and the kingdom has a set of values. The culture says this is what's important, but the kingdom of God says this is what's important. 
And God gives you the power to choose. One will produce faithfulness. One will not. Look what it says here in Proverbs. A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. I think that's interesting. Again, a faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. What's he talking about here? Is he talking about earning money? He's not talking about money per se here. He's talking about values. What I, what I decide is important in life. What I'm willing to invest my life in. You know, faithful people know what matters and what doesn't matter. Faithful people learn how to invest their lives. What to invest it in and what not to invest it in. And so he's not talking about earning because the Bible tells us that we're to earn to provide for our families. I think it's 1 Thessalonians somewhere it says, or 2 Thessalonians. Uh, He says to the church there, if a man doesn't work, he should not eat. And I know Paul tells Timothy, if a man will not provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel. I don't know, the last time I heard that word was from a terrorist. What's infidel mean? Unbeliever. He says a Christian man, Christian woman, a Christian person who doesn't provide for their family, he's worse than an unbeliever, worse than an atheist. So we're to provide. So the question isn't whether I should provide for my family or not, as we're talking about this. It's the question is, what is going to be the main set of values I'm going to build my life around and build my family around? You see, I think there's a lot of people in church, you've got to hear this. We need to hear this. There's a lot of people at Greater Alton Church that could lead, disciple, they could teach, they could preach. But they can't because they're not available. They can't because they're too busy. Too busy doing what? Making a buck. Too busy making a dollar. I don't. I'm reading a book by Juan Carlos Ortiz called Disciple. This book, by, this book is 30 years old, 37 years old. I read it way back in the day when I first started looking at discipling as a new Christian. And I, and I had somebody challenge me recently, you need to get back to your roots, Tim, when it comes to discipling. So I dusted off all these old, old discipling books back in the day when I thought I was much better at discipling. And, and one of them is Juan Carlos Ortiz's called Dis, uh, Disciple. I think Stephen Gregg even uh, mentioned it in passing. That illustration about I'll take your house, I'll take your boat, that's where he got It's in that book, okay? And I've been reading it, and one of the things he, he said was, is that we, our values are based on our love. Our, what do you mean, Tim? He said, he said it this way, he goes, I'll ask people in my church, uh, I need you, you know, could you help us with this? Oh, no, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Uh, I can go to church, but I'm too busy to do any, much of anything else. I'm too busy to go to group. I'm too busy, to, you know, to, to get discipled, or I'm too busy being discipled to, to do it with someone else, you know, whatever. I, but I'm busy. And he goes, well, you're too busy? Yes, I'm way too busy, but I can make it on Sundays. As if, like, Juan Carlos Ortiz should be pleased with that. God is not pleased. Why should he be? God is not pleased. I'm not either. 
just having you here on Sundays, if the extent of your involvement is going to be on Sundays because you're too busy, what are you too busy doing? How do you know if you like this? This is a value issue. What are you going to invest your life in, church? Listen, disciple. Listen, Christian. What are you going to invest your life in? You said you, would, you were going to follow Jesus. Or is it going to be His values for your life or the ones you can come up with for your life? That's important to think about this. It determines everything. The kind of kids you have, their future, your marriage. I was talking to a, a fellow this week who used to come to church here. His life is a mess. And I'm just looking at him going, when are you going to get tired of this? Just crying. When are you going to get tired of this life? Don't you remember how, how it sucked back then? You want more of this? No, I don't. And I give him some advice and he goes, he just gives me this look. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm too busy to do that. Too busy with my stuff. And church, I want you to know, many of you here, many of you here could disciple someone, could lead. You could do my job. But you're just not available because you're too busy. Lord, help us. The, the, The culture says, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. And I have to be busy to do that. You see, when I get so busy... That I'm not doing the will of God or much of the will of God. Listen, church. God is going to, on judgment day, is going to ask you and I, not how much money you made or all the things you own, but what did you do with your time, with me, with what I value? Juan Carlos Ortiz went on to say, it's funny, the same person who said they were too busy all of a sudden meets the love of their life. And guess what happens? Immediate adjustment. He can see this girl now, sees her every day. And he asks himself, how is that possible? Love, listen to me, unfaithfulness is unloving. But look what it says about Timothy. Look how his values are here in Philippians 2 and your notes. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. The Apostle Paul speaking to me. But I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. And look what it says in verse 21. For everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Oh, that must have been written yesterday. No, that was written 2,000 years ago. It hasn't changed. The culture is kind of locked in, folks. The culture says, don't be, don't be concerned and focused about the gospel, the work of the gospel. Don't be focused about and, and, and caught up in the values of the Son of God. Be caught up in the ones we offer. Number two, if I want God to embrace or if I want God to, to build um, faithfulness in my life, I must do what God commands. Now, notice I didn't say I must do what God commands perfectly. Because no one can. I'm, I'm glad, aren't you? Here's what I've learned. I've learned this recently. Again, I'll go back to this friend I was talking to. 
he's, he's divorced now. I've had to bail him out of jail. Um, he's living with someone now. His daughter, he just took to Gateway because she OD'd on some stuff. just happened. And then his daughter says to, to him, in her words, Dad, go to hell. He has... He has he just got a lot of stuff going on there. And I'm looking at him. And I go, you know why it's so hard? Why? He's crying. Why is it so hard? Because you won't do what God says. And he stands there and just goes, the deers, the tears gone. You can see him just kind of shut down inside. I was talking to my sister-in-law Wednesday night. We're sitting around at uh, Rib City talking, and she just blurts out, you know, Tim, things would be so much easier if we would just do what God says. Why is that? Because fighting God makes it harder. Fighting takes more energy than submitting. See, we think it's the other way around. Oh, if I submit to God, He's going to wear me out. He's going to make me do this and this and this and this and this and this. You're fighting the Lord so you can do this and this and this and this and this. And that when you're done doing this and this and this, you're going. <laughs> when I do what God says and that and that and that, I'm not out of breath. And she just, I just she kept saying over here, if we would just cooperate and just. Because the answer, every time the answer is just do what God says. Oh, I messed up. You know, I, lo- I, you know, I, love, I love Chris Weaver's illustration. I, I, I stumble occasionally. And what's Chris do? Well, you do, Chris, when you stumble. I get back up. Faithfulness is not success. It's just keep hitting it. Keep working. And what, is, what does getting up look like? I just When I don't do what God says, the answer is to do what God says. When I mess up, the answer is do what God commands. But I didn't do it. Doesn't mean he takes it off the table and says, well, then don't do it. He says, it's still an option. Do it. Look at the Bible says here. It says, I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and will do what I tell him to do. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Samuel. I'm going I'm to raise up this, this faithful priest. And, you know, we, don't, we learn in the New Testament that priests, we're the priests now that are on the planet. Jesus is the high priest, and we're the priests that serve with him in the kingdom. And, and he's, saying, he's saying, I'm going to raise up this priest that's going to be faithful. How do you know? He'll do what I tell him to do. And what did Samuel do? He did what the Lord told him to do. Great guy. Had a great life because of that. God blessed his faithfulness. And if I want God to produce faithfulness in me, he's going to give me things to do. He's going to give you and I things to do to build. They may be little at the time. But he gives us things to do to build that responsibility and that reliability and that faithfulness. Are you just doing what God says? Will you do what God says? Let's go on to the next point. Here's the third one. I will watch my testimony. If I want, if I want God to produce faithfulness in my life, I need to watch my testimony. Well, what were you talking about, Tim? Well... My testimony is the connection between my talk and walk. 
In fact, I'm I'm a believer. I believe that your walk is really your testimony more than your talk. We got people up come up here. I've had people come up here and share their testimony, the things that's going on. They're not even faithful anymore. And God, you know, is there there anything wrong with having people do testimonies? Absolutely not. I think sometimes we need to hear those stories. Last week at the banquet, wasn't it refreshing to hear some of the backstories of these studies and baptisms we had? To hear about David Dugan and how they got, got him. You know, this guy has cancer in his brain and he can't remember anything 24 hours after it's been taught. Now, how long does it take to study with somebody that can't remember, like 51st days. Oh my gosh, that's got to be frustrating. And Chris goes, what do I do? And I go, I think you're just going to have to teach him everything in one setting and baptize him. And that's what they did. The next day he forgot it. Then the next day he remembered it. It's just a battle back and forth. His cancer's in remission, but we understand. You hear a backstory like that? Isn't that cool? It's, it's, it's so encouraging to hear that kind of stuff and to, to know, well, there's some guys that are walking by faith with other people. And there's a connection, guys. There's a connection between what I say and what I do. But God wants, wants me to walk. And if I want my faithfulness, if I want God's faithfulness and, and have a faithful life, it demands that I have this, this example that I set with two groups of people. The first one being believers. That people see, they see this. Look at the, what the Bible says here. Paul's talking to Timothy again, and he says, "Don't let." And it, by the way, Timothy is a faithful man. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in what? In speech, and life, and love, and faith, and purity. Why? It's encouraging. It encourages you greatly. I want you to know. I, I uh, nothing against you fellows and people that have. You know, shared the Lord's Supper, but Chris, Chris Weaver's presentation was refreshing. I just thought it was refreshing and encouraging. And there's something, you know, when when I hope that I hope you're encouraged to know that I'm the kind of person that won't be unfaithful to my wife, that I deal with my biz, business dealings fairly and honestly. I'm getting uh, I'm being audited tomorrow. And they're going to look for sales tax. Okay? And we've got 30 boxes. This high, you know, from here to here of records. And bless my wife's heart, she went through just about every one of them. Looking for things. We're looking for stuff. And I'm thinking, where, where have I not paid sales tax? And it's about, out of all this stuff, it's a stack of paper about an inch and a quarter thick. That might be... And I go, I didn't know we were paying sales tax. Out of all that stuff, I hope you know, I, I seek to be as honest, honest, reliable. I know I have to hold my head up. In church, you need to hold your, be able to hold your head up with the ministers you have and the leaders you have in this church. I know that. That's important. But I want to be able to hold my head up when I'm at Schnucks or Walmart and I see you over there at the corner and you're, you're complaining about something. Please don't embarrass me either. When you're at a restaurant and you get the wrong food, don't embarrass the church. You know what I'm saying? When you're with new Christians, don't embarrass me or the rest of the church. Be good. Think about what you're talking about when you're talking to other Christians. 
Why? Because it, it determines whether you're encouraging or discouraging their faith. But that's a one group. The other group is the unbeliever. Look what it says about the unbelievers here. The group two. Look what it says here. It says, Then the other administrators and the princes began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and always responsible. You know, Daniel was, was a God-fearing man. He was a faithful man. Right in the middle of a pagan world. And they're trying to find something on him. And they couldn't find a thing. He's like Jimmy Carter. He just farms peanuts. You know, that's the only thing they could find on Jimmy. And here, you know, he's, he's faithful. He's honest with what he does. He's always responsible. They couldn't find anything on this guy. And guys, I'll tell you what. I, I believe God's concerned about how we, how we walk in front of each other. But God is very concerned how we walk in the world. The world's got to see a difference. And it isn't a perfect, a perfect walk. I'm saying when we mess up and screw up, the world should see us go, my bad, I messed up there. I really screwed that one up. That's not the way I should have done that. I'm out of line. One of the things I was telling this fella this week, I said, you know, i got to tell you, when you disobey, it makes things worse. It happens to me. And I brought up a situation where I'd been talking to him earlier. And I was rude to him. I said, you know, that, what did that do? I disobeyed. I wasn't gentle. I wasn't kind to you. And look what it did to us. Look what it did to our relationship. You see, it fits me too. Disobedience. I want to get a bumper sticker someday that just says, disobedience sucks. Because it does. For everybody. Wouldn't that be refreshing for a pagan or an infidel or, or a friend that's not going to church anywhere to hear a Christian admit they messed up? might give your person you're working with a heart attack over that. But that's the kind of example. That's, that's what faithfulness is, 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 is so important. We have to watch our walk if we want to develop faithfulness. And there's the fourth thing. I must take my responsibilities seriously. What do you mean, Tim? Well, I said earlier, God's going to tell you, He's going to give you something to do. He's going to give you something to do. And you've got to take those responsibilities seriously. Well, what, like, what is he going to, it's going to be different for everybody. Some of you here, he may just have you do something that may, may seem small and insignificant, but it matters. It matters. And when you take those responsibilities seriously, God is able to build faithfulness in your life and a reputation of reliability. Um, ran across this this morning. Um, in 1942, a guy by the name of, of uh, Clarence Jordan started a, a farm in Georgia. He calls it Koinonia, which means fellowship. It was for the poor. He didn't care what race you were. Now, this is in Georgia in the south in the 40s. So he has both black and white poor working together. They'd raise their own crops. They would take care of one another. And, you know, being in the 40s, it didn't go well. The community had a problem with this farm. And the people that had the most problems with it were people who went to church. Different time, huh? One day, uh, they, they realized this guy's not going away. They're building more buildings. They're housing more poor people. And so a group of them 
a group of them, as as the KKK, came down to his farm, and their intent was to burn every every building down but his house. They didn't burn his house down. They just filled it full of lead, bullet holes all over. Ran every family out except one. So he and his wife and his family are still there. They burn all the buildings down. He can recognize their voices. One of them, he heard a voice. He knew that was the editor of the paper. Another guy he heard, he goes, I know where he goes to church. He knew who these people were. Next day, here comes the newspaper guy out. The guy that was there last night. Burn his place down. Is now going. And he sees this guy. He's out here hoeing in his garden, planting some things. And he goes, hey. So what are you going to do now? Now you're going to close up. What, we don't know, what you don't know about this fellow, about Clarence Jordan, is he has two PhDs. One in agriculture, the other one in Hebrew and Greek. So he knows his Bible inside and out. You know, and the guy, he's trying to needle him a little bit. So what are you going to do now? Too bad this happened. What happened? Too bad. He says, how about those two PhDs? How are they going to help you now? Trying to needle him. He just keeps it home. Then finally, what he does is, this guy starts asking him, just really needling him, and, he's, and finally Clarence stops. He says, don't you, you know, look at how, look how all this, how successful all of this helping the poor has turned out, dude. And he stops hoeing him. And he looks at him and he says these words. He goes, Turning, he says, turning toward the reporter with his penetrating blue eyes, he said quietly and firmly, we're about as successful as the cross. Sir, I didn't think, I want you to know, I didn't think you'd understand this. What we are about is not success, but faithfulness. He goes, we're staying. Good day. It's, I read this and I thought, well, I get on, why don't I get online and see if this place is still around? And I have here the website, Koinonia. You know, you know who these people are? They started a, a group you've probably heard of, Habitat for Humanity. That's just one organization they started. It sends tingles down there to know that this guy, Clarence Jordan, it was just about being faithful. They couldn't burn him out. They couldn't stop him. This morning, I walked between your chairs, praying for each of the chairs, whoever was sitting here, that you'd listen to today's lesson. And I couldn't help but think, what, what drives me sometimes? And, and God gives you a little thought every once in a while. Sometimes they're not pleasant, to be honest with you. He didn't give me a pleasant one. Because, Tim, sometimes I got this impression, you're about success. Would you just be about faithfulness? I know I would, you know, we hear of other churches that are just tearing it up. Oh, they're going to baptize a hundred. They're going to plant churches. They're going to do. And we, what are we? What are we doing? What are we? I heard somebody left last week. Are we about success or are we going to be about being faithful? Because if we're faithful, we'll plant churches. If we're faithful, we'll baptize folks. If we're faithful, people will still leave. And God, you're giving me. As I was praying for you, he's talking to me. And I want to say to you this morning, this passage here, I want to encourage you to be faithful even when it hurts. 
because it says this in Psalms 15. Who will dwell? Who will enter my holy tent? And he talks about not lying and telling the truth and all this other stuff. And he says, but they keep their promise to their neighbors even when it hurts. They're faithful even when it hurts. I want to call you to be faithful this morning. Are you faithful to God? Are you faithful? Do you want to be faithful, a faithful person? Not the kind of person that's perfect. Uh, good luck with that. If you're trying to be perfect, you do need to find another church because you're not going to get it here. Oh. But if you're looking to be faithful, there's a lot of people here that are faithful. I'm looking at several of them. You've been faithful over the long haul. I look at Bob and Faye Hawkins, faithful over the long haul. They're not driven by success. They're driven by God. They're not busy because of they're so busy making a buck. They're busy because of the Lord. And that, that just thrills me and encourages me so. I hope that I'm their age. I can be that. And I'll be that. I hope you'll be that now. How about we just make a deal with Bob and Faye and the Lord? We'll be that beginning today, whatever age we are. We'll be this faithful person. You see, faithfulness, oh, I, I know I give you four, but faithfulness is, how's it happen, Tim? When you let the Holy Spirit have His way. Are you letting God have His way? I know some of you are all ready to go home and you're not thinking, but the rest of you, I want to say, are you letting God have His way? Because that's where faithfulness comes. You'll be a you'll be faithful husband and a faithful wife and you let God have His way. You'll be a faithful father and a faithful son when you let God have His way. You'll be a faithful mom and a faithful daughter if you just let God have His way. And you'll be a faithful friend and you'll be faithful to the Lord when you let the Lord have His way with your life. You have a card in your bulletin. It's a communication card this morning. And all it's about is making a decision. Or maybe you have a prayer request. Let me encourage you to fill out that card. And you know, fill it out. You've got somebody who wants to pray for you. We have a team of people that pray. And they pray just for you. They, they only get five or six cards apiece. And if, and if you are, you, know, you get there, if they, they get your card, guess what happens? They pray for you all week about this. There's nothing too trivial, nothing too small that we cannot bring the Lord. They don't call somebody and say, guess what so-and-so's dealing with? They don't. They talk to the Lord about it. That's what you're asking with prayer request. But maybe you're making a decision. Maybe it's to study the Bible with somebody. Maybe it's, you know, I want, I want Lord, the Lord to have more control in my life. How do I get that done? Why don't you ask that question in that card and let somebody help you? God will bring you somebody. We're going to give you time to do that while we sing a song. And then we're going to sing another song and pick up those cards and our regular contribution. May God bless you. And most of all, may He bless your faithfulness.